RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Of course, I'm your host, Vincent Hill. We got a lot to cover this evening. Today is Tuesday, September the 4th. I hope everyone had a very safe Labor Day weekend. I hope no one went out and did what they shouldn't do, drink and drive, drive a boat and or drink and drive a boat or anything like that. I hope everyone had a safe, happy Labor Day. Hey, I hope you pigged out. I didn't do much of anything besides stay on the couch because I needed to catch up on some much needed rest. And I knew my day today would start at about five o'clock this morning and it would go well into the night. Hence, it's eight o'clock. This is beyond the batch. So my day started this morning uh, at court here in Atlanta. I went to um, the bond hearing of someone that is 18 years old, Jaden Myrick. Uh, he's accused of murder. He actually murdered a guy that was here for a wedding uh, um, back in July. It was the, the victim in this case, Christian Broder. And three other people were standing outside, leaving this wedding, uh, waiting for an Uber. And a car pulls up. Guys get out, do this armed robbery. Christian goes after the group that had robbed him. And then that's when the shot rang out. Uh, he died a few days later in the hospital. Uh, Jaden Myrick was 17 years old at the time of the shooting. He turned 18 last month. So the bond hearing was today. The judge denied his bond, saying he was a threat to society. Uh, when you look at his record, and one of the things that came up in court was his juvenile record starting three years ago, back when he was still 14. Uh, he had done some armed robberies there, some assaults. He actually got 22 years. It was reduced to seven. He only served about two of those years, and then he was back out because this judge wanted to uh, do like some testing on rehabilitation of juveniles and unfortunately you know just months later he robs not only robs a bunch of people uh he shoots christian christian dies just a few days later they had carjacked someone earlier in that night so obviously this rehabilitation did not work but i got a chance to sit literally right in front of the victim's family in this case and along with members of the community that were there uh, his dad, the victim's dad, gave an impact statement during the bond hearing. Um, you know, and again, the judge denied the bond in that case. And to be able to sit by Christian Browder's mother and just listen to her crying and watch her tears flow down her face, I really, really felt sorry uh, for that family. Listen, I was there to do a job for the Law and Crime Network to report from the courtroom, but as a human and as a father, there's no way that can't affect you to see someone's mother bawling and crying and to have a picture of her son on her shirt. Uh, you know, it, it still affects you. I don't care what line of work you're in. It affects you because we are all human. So after I got done with that, I had a meeting I had to get to. I had to rush to that, get to that meeting by 1130. I was on a tight time schedule had to leave that meeting at 1215 because 
I had to be at HLN downtown in Atlanta uh, at 12.45 to be on the air at 1.10. Now, of course, we talked about on that, on the case with Mike Galanos, uh, HLN Now, I think, is the name of the show, actually. Um, and I'm sure you've seen the viral video of the mother in Texas leading police on this high-speed chase, speeds over 100 miles an hour with the baby in the back seat. She crashes out after she had been spiked. Gets out, gets the baby out, runs down the street, and attempts to carjack someone else. Uh, ends up, she had warrants, and she didn't want to go back to jail. And that was the first thing I said on HLN. I said, this just shows what people will do just so they don't go back to jail. She had her baby in this car. She was doing 100 miles an hour. She ran down the street, a busy street, with the baby in, in her arms in the car seat. So I'm sure, along with the the felony evading and the warrants, I'm sure the prosecution is going to press that she has some type of child endangerment charges brought against her as well. I mean, anything could have happened in that pursuit. It could have ended so horribly. Luckily, no one was hurt. The mother was arrested. I don't know where the baby is now. But again, if I was a prosecutor in this case, you better believe I'd be pressing for some child endangerment charges. Felony child endangerment a lot going on here in atlanta on yesterday and i want to talk about this really quick on yesterday in covington georgia which is about 20 miles outside of atlanta most people when they're from covington they just tell people they're from atlanta because no one knows covington unless you live there so yesterday a police officer matt cooper was actually shot in the head Near a shopping plaza. Now, again, yesterday, remember, was Labor Day. You know, when most people are out cooking out, drinking at the pool or whatever, this officer was out protecting and serving. Now, he gets a call, he and his sergeant, at a Walmart about a shoplifting. Now, I know what people are thinking. Well, it's just shoplifting. Whatever happens in shoplifting. Well, the suspects fled behind the building. Then shots ring out. And then Officer Matt Cooper was shot in the head. So that's what could happen during a shoplifting call. The suspect who fired the shot ran into the woods, shot himself in the head. There's a third suspect they're still looking for. Two people were arrested. The suspect who shot the officer shot himself in the head. So uh, that part is taken care of. But a third person is still on the loose. Now, this just happened because of some stolen bandanas. And I want to take this opportunity because, yeah, I get tired of hearing people say, oh, being a police officer is simple. Oh, being a police officer, you're just there to harass people. Oh, just da-da-da. Oh, you signed up for this. I hear all of this crap all the time. Well, let me say it again until I'm blue in the face. Crime brings police, not color. Police got a call to that Walmart about shoplifters. Here's the suspect descriptions. Well, those suspects happen to be black. Officer Matt Cooper did not call his dispatcher and say, hey, find me some black people to go harass. Police got a call. The suspects happen to be black. Now, for all of those that say, oh, police sign up for it, they know the dangers of the job. Well, newsflash, nobody, let me say it again, nobody signs up to get shot in the head like a sheep at a cattle house. Nobody 
signs up for this. Now, Matt Cooper had served in the Army, had served several tours in Iraq, protecting this country. And he is fighting for his life right now, not because of an IED, IED explosion in Afghanistan, not because of ISIS, not because of an ambush in Afghanistan. No, he's fighting for his life over some freaking bandanas and these cowards that ran and shot him. You steal some freaking bandanas, some bandanas that probably cost $5 for a 12-pack. I don't know. I don't wear bandanas, never have, never will, because I don't rep a gang. But you shoot an officer in the head because you would rather not get a misdemeanor charge of shoplifting. So this war hero, this war veteran, who had done several tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, is fighting for his life in his own country because of four or five individuals that would rather go out and steal than to actually go out and earn something so they can go buy these bandanas. Now, I'm just going to speculate that bandanas, they were probably a certain color because of certain gang affiliation. I don't know if they were red, blue, or whatever, but that's usually what people wear bandanas for because they're repping their gang. But again, war veteran who's fighting for his life over a freaking bandana. Now, you tell me, Who signs up for that? Who leaves their house in the morning on a holiday and says, you know what? I think I may get shot because these guys stole bandanas. So, no, nobody signs up for that. And the part that gets me the most, where's CNN? Where are they at right now? Why are they not covering this story? Now, let me flip gears. The suspect who shot himself in the head, 21-year-old DeMonte Fleming. Let me flip gears. Let's say, for argument's sake, that DeMonte didn't shoot himself, but as he was still armed with the gun, this officer, who happened to be white, shoots him and kills him. Oh, my God, I can see the CNN headline right now. Black man killed over bandana. Black man killed by police over bandana. Not black man was armed and aimed gun at police. Black man killed over a bandana, over a shoplifting incident. Then we'd have Benjamin Crump, Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, who was looking at Ariana Grande, all kind of freaky at the funeral. But that's a different story of Aretha Franklin. We'd have all these people ready to come to Atlanta ready to start marching, ready to start protests, ready to start hashtag. Maybe they'll be the new face of Nike like Colin Kaepernick, which I think is sick in my opinion, because what message does that send from Nike that you support a guy who will kneel at the national anthem. So you're basically saying you support someone that doesn't stand up for this country. That's just me. And maybe that's why people are burning their Nikes since that announcement was made. That's just me. But my point is, Had the roles been reversed right now, it would be running on CNN. You would have all of these people right now talking about it. And this Matt Cooper, Officer Matt Cooper, who, again, 
is a war veteran who served this country would just be another white guy who unjustifiably killed a black man for no reason, only because he was shoplifting. Well, why doesn't Matt Cooper get that hashtag? He's right now at Atlanta Medical Center fighting for his life. Atlanta Medical Center fighting for his life, a gunshot wound to the head. And we know the chances of surviving gunshot wounds are not great. Yes, people have survived them, but the chances are not really that great. Where's the hashtag for Matt Cooper? I'll start it. Hashtag Matt Cooper. Hashtag Matt Cooper. Hashtag make policing safe again. If I ran for president in 2024 because I'm a little too late to run in 2020, plus some guy named Kanye says he's going to run, and I wouldn't even want to go up against that media fiasco. But if I ran for president, I would use the slogan, honest to God's truth, make policing safe again, because we're still reeling from eight years of police being the bad guys, and no one's trying to change that mentality. No one's trying to say, hey, police are here to actually help us. No one's trying to change the mentality of these knuckleheads to say, oh, it's okay to shoot a police officer because if you're black, it's okay because you can say you're in fear. Or I saw a video somewhere where these kids were uh, shoplifting somewhere. I can't remember where it was. They were black kids and they were like, what the fuck are you going to do about it? Blah, blah, blah. Call the police. We don't care. Call the police. That's because they know someone will videotape it. And someone will post it on social media and someone will say it's excessive force by the police officer. And then that police officer will lose their job. And then that police officer will get their name in the mud. It's almost like, and I hear this term a lot and it's laughable. It's almost like people when they say white privilege, but I know a lot of white people that aren't too privileged and you can ask them, but it's almost like there's this black privilege. Well, I can do whatever I want, but as long as I'm black, you guys can't say anything to me or you can't call the police because if you do, I'm just going to call you a racist and I'll get away with it because I can just boycott another Starbucks or I can boycott Walmart, even though I was there shoplifting. If I'm black and you call the police and the police officer's white and they have to put their hands on me, I can just say it was racial, then I'll get away with it because we'll just organize a boycott of Walmart because although I was stealing, the police were called and since I resisted arrest, they had to put their hands on me and someone got it on video and sold it to CNN and now we're boycotting Walmart because you guys are racist. Mm, don't worry about what I did. Don't worry about if I was breaking the law. But since I'm black, I can use that as my, no pun intended, trump card to say, oop, I can do whatever the hell I want to do and get away with it. That's the mentality going on right now, and it has to stop. It must stop because it's not good for anyone. It doesn't prevent police from coming to the scene to say, oh, oh shoot, they're black? Nope, nope. We're, uh, show me... Uh, 10 8, I'm done. I'm checking out. I'm, I'm not taking this call. It doesn't prevent that. If police get a call 
about a crime. They must, by law, go investigate. They must, by law, detain a suspect if the suspect is present. Black, white, Hispanic, Chinese, alien, it doesn't matter. They must do it. So, just using this black card, this black privilege, if you will, does not negate anything. The only thing it does, besides making you look stupid, the only thing it does is escalate the situation. Much like the security guard who got fired last week for filming the officer in Houston trying to detain a robbery suspect. Oh, he ain't going to shoot you because we filming, baby. We got you, boo-boo. We filming, baby. Well, besides losing your job, the only thing it did was escalate the situation because he now knows there's a hundred cell phone videos going around. So he's going to act even more stupid. He's going to resist even more because, yeah, he thinks, oh, well, if this officer uses force or if he tases me or if he shoots me, even though I was going for his gun, then, oh, God, he's just a racist. That mentality has to stop. And now I know I said I was only going to uh, talk about this officer very briefly, and I know I kind of went off on a soapbox there, but, you know, I get really passionate about this stuff, um, you know, especially stupid stuff. I hate stupidity. I do not like it. I despise stupidity and everything that's going on right now is stupid. So I want to switch gears. I want to talk Chicago really quick. So two big things going on in Chicago. Of course, right now, Fox News has just sent out an alert that said Rahm Emanuel has decided not to seek re-election. Now, in case you're not familiar who Rahm Emanuel is, he's the Democratic mayor who's been the mayor of Chicago since 2011. And now we've seen over the last years the crime rate in Chicago quadruple. This past weekend, Labor Day weekend, multiple people shot, multiple people killed. It's like a regular occurrence in Chicago. Nobody's surprised by it anymore. But in the last several months, of course, the black community, many people that got Rahm Emanuel in that office have requested, have demanded his resignation. Now, of course, he's not going to resign. So what does he do? He just says, you know what? I am deciding not to seek reelection. Well, that's probably because he knew he wasn't going to get reelected. I mean, if your constituents, your supporters have now turned their back on you, what do you do? Other than making it a sanctuary city where you let illegal immigrants into the city and give them ID simply so they can vote for no other reason. Let's be honest. That's what it was. But you know that small demographic is not enough to get you reelected. What do you do? Do you just say, I'm not going to seek reelection? Or do you go to the election? Do you seek reelection and then get your butt whooped come election day? So you're not fooling anyone. What are you going to come out and make a statement and say you're tired? You've done the city of Chicago all you can do for it. You haven't done anything for the city of Chicago. Everyone sees through what you're doing right now. The fact is, you know, you're going to lose that election. So just come out and say, you know what? 
it is a nice time for me to bow out gracefully after this term. The sad part is, Rahm Emanuel, you've left a legacy of destruction, death, and poor economics in the city of Chicago. That is what you will be known for. Destruction, death, and poor economics in the city of Chicago. Because you cannot tell me any other thing that you've done positive for the city of Chicago. When there's three-year-olds getting shot. When there's nine-year-olds getting drugged in, into an alley and shot in the head because of gang retaliation. You can't tell me anything positive that you've done for the city of Chicago since 2011. And I think you should bow out gracefully. All right, of course, the next big thing in Chicago is jury selection begins actually tomorrow for Officer Jason Van Dyke, former Officer Jason Van Dyke. Now, if you remember, uh, I think it was 2016, uh, he shot Laquan McDonald 16 times. Uh, so I'm reading over the charges here as we speak. He's actually charged with six counts of first-degree murder. I'm not sure how that happens when there's only one individual who, who died there. 16 counts of aggravated battery. I assume that's for each round fired and one count of official misconduct. Now, this case has been going on for a while. Of course, it sparked a lot of uproar and uh, protests in Chicago. Again, uh, Jaquan McDonald, I believe, was 16 at the time. He was armed with a knife. Police had seen him breaking into cars or there was a call about him breaking into cars. Uh, again, police, when they get a call, they show up. That's what happens. Uh, so uh, Van Dyke's testimony was that he was in fear of his life because Laquan was armed with a knife. However, uh, body cam and dash cam footage shows Laquan walking away. So that's something the jury will definitely look at. Again, I never Monday morning quarterback an officer's decision to use deadly force or any force for that matter. So I'm sure just like the Roy Oliver case that I talked about last week and I covered on law and crime where he was just convicted of murder. I think it came down to the body cam footage and what that jury believed to be reasonable versus unreasonable. So that jury selection starts tomorrow. I'm sure on the law and crime network, we will be covering that uh, from gavel to gavel uh, live every day. That's going to be a pretty big trial uh, that that uh, the whole world, I think, will be watching. So, again, he's being charged with six counts of first degree murder, 16 counts of aggravated battery, one count of official misconduct. Now, Van Dyke actually granted an interview to one of the local uh, newspapers there, but the interview was videotaped. So part of the argument from the prosecution is he wants his bail revoked because he did that simply to try to sway the jurors because he talked about how he was in fear of his life and how it's affected his life since. And of course, that he never you know, wakes up with the intention of killing someone. That's not something any officer wants to do. Me personally, uh, if I was his attorney or even if I was him, I'm not going to give an interview that's recorded on camera or on paper for that matter before I even go to trial. Because I assure you, this prosecution will look at that interview and try to get anything they can out of it to use it against them. But of course, the prosecution is saying that uh, 
Van Dyke actually did this interview to try to sway any potential juror because, of course, this is Chicago. There's the local news that's there. The jury's going to be from Chicago. They've seen this interview. Anyone that goes to the judge and says they haven't seen the interview likely are telling an untruth, or maybe they just don't have cable, don't watch TV. I don't know, but, you know, the interview got a lot of hits via social media. So chances are any potential juror has seen that any interview and Van Dyke talks about, you know, what he's gone through and how it's affected his life. So I can see why the prosecution could say it could play into the mindset of the jury. I, I totally get that. And I want to make one correction. The shooting was actually way back October 20th, 2014. That's when the shooting happened. In fact, I remember the little controversy with the outgoing mayor, Rahm Emanuel, who had seen the body cam footage or the dash cam footage and uh, for whatever reason chose not to release it until he was pressed several times by the community. So there was that whole scandal with Rahm Emanuel as well. But, uh, you know, again, Officer James Van Dyke, former Officer James Van Dyke, getting ready to go on trial for the murder of Laquan McDonald, who was armed with the knife. And according to that officer, he was in fear of his life. Uh, you know, don't take my word. Watch the video cam for yourself, the body cam, the dash cam for yourself. You make that determination again. I never Monday morning quarterback an officer's decision to make a split second decision. That's just not what I do. In a similar case, in Philly, actually, in Philadelphia, uh, today, there's a former Pennsylvania cop in Philly charged in the fatal officer-involved shooting. So uh, his name is Ryan Pinal, who was a Philadelphia cop. And in 2017, so last year, he shot a guy who ran from him at a traffic stop. Uh, he's expected to turn himself in later today or tomorrow to face the murder charge. Um, the background of it, there was a traffic stop. The person he shot, David Jones, who happened to be black, I believe the officer's white. Uh, there was a traffic stop. At some point, the officer frisked David Jones for whatever reason. I was not there. Don't know. He finds what he believes to be a gun. During the pat down, there was a struggle. Again, put your hands behind your back. Don't resist arrest. Chances are you won't get shot, but that's neither here nor there. There was a struggle with Jones over the gun. Jones broke free, ran away, and the officer fired the gun. Ryan Pinal fired the gun. Uh, I don't know if David Jones was armed with the gun, whether he was pointing it at the officer, but the gun was recovered on the ground close to the body. So, he's going to trial, charged with murder. Um, again, it's going to come down to what the jury believes to be reasonable. Now, I don't know, in this case, was there body cam footage? Not sure. It, ha it doesn't say it in the article I'm reading. But, uh, it's going to come down to what this jury believes to be reasonable. Now, if I'm a juror, and I'm just speaking for myself, which I got subpoenaed for jury duty on September 24th, by the way, 
man, I hope it's not a murder trial. But anyway, uh, if I'm a juror and I'm listening to the testimony of a police officer who's sworn to protect and serve, and he says he's on a traffic stop and he frisks this individual and he finds a gun and the individual is struggling with him. And at some point he had to fire. I may say, well, it was reasonable for that officer to believe he had to use deadly force in that situation. Now, of course, there's other factors that go into this. A, was there body cam video? Was there any video that showed the struggle? Was David Jones in possession of the weapon when the officer fired, i.e. he had it in his hands, pointed at the officer? There's so many things that go into this, but it's going to come down to what the jury believes to be reasonable. Now, to add a little twist to this case, which may come back to bite this officer. Apparently, he was involved in another officer-involved shooting back in 2010 where a black man was shot uh, in the back. So, I don't know, again, if that will play into this trial. If the jury hears that, I'm sure it will play into that trial. But again, every circumstance is different, and we don't know the circumstances of that 2010 shooting. I doubt the officer got out of his car, saw a black guy walking down the street, and shot him in the back. I'm sure there was something that escalated to it. Maybe there was a fleeing felon-type situation that happened. We don't know. So it'll be up to the judge to say, hey, do we let this evidence in? Do we let this prior shooting in? Or do we exclude it? Because when you start letting stuff in like that, especially in the the world of policing, the duties of a police officer where sometimes on a regular basis you must use force against people, it kind of actually hinders the police officer because it doesn't look like they're actually just doing their job. What it looks like to some jurors and especially the media is that, oh, this person is trigger happy and they just want to hurt people so they shouldn't be on the streets and they should be in prison. And again, I, I, I want to bring up Roy Oliver, who was just convicted of murder last week in Texas. I think when they started bringing in past stuff it made it look like, oh, this guy's just trigger happy. He loves to abuse his power. He uses uh, excessive force. So he doesn't need to be on the street. But you cannot account every situation the same because let's be honest. Police work is dirty, and sometimes you have to get dirty, i.e. you may have to slam someone. You may have to roll in the dirt with someone. You may have to punch someone in the face. All things that are legal in accordance with the use of force continuum and every department's use of force policy, but to the average person who doesn't know, and if they hear, well, well, this officer did this in 2010, and in 2012, he actually body slammed someone. Jury might not hear that. Yeah, he body slammed the person because he was resisting arrest and the officer used the amount of force necessary to affect the arrest. They may just hear, oh, he body slammed someone and uh, he hurt them. OK, well, again, police work. Sometimes you got to get dirty. It's not clean. It's not like you see on TV. It's not happy. Go lucky all the time doesn't work that way. It's real life stuff. And sometimes you have to do real life situations to make sure you go home at night 
and to make sure you arrest the bad guy or you eliminate the threat by any means you have to to eliminate the threat. That's what policing is about. So if this judge starts letting this stuff in from 2010 into this courtroom, chances are this Philadelphia police officer is going to just look like some guy that just is trigger happy, that likes to just shoot black people for no reason, and a jury's going to convict him. So I'll be curious to see what the judge allows in the case. Again, that's in Philadelphia. That is former officer Ryan uh, Punal, who's expected to turn himself in either later tonight or tomorrow morning. Wow. We are at 30 plus minutes already. Time flies when you're having fun. Uh, I want to do something different instead of doing my 10, seven segment uh, tonight, which of course honors an officer killed in line of duty. I just want to take a moment to send up a prayer to officer Matt Cooper. I talked about him at the beginning of the show, Covington police department. He was shot in the head on yesterday on labor day over a shoplifting incident where the thieves were stealing nothing more than bandanas. So first of all, never believe that there's anything routine in policing and never assume that just because the call is not high risk, that there's not a concern for danger in any police call. So I just want to take a quick moment and send out a prayer to that officer. Heavenly Father, I ask that you send your angels of healing around his body right now. Give his family the strength they need to get through this, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I want to thank you guys, as always, for listening to Beyond the Batch. Thank you. My numbers continue to grow. I couldn't do it without you. I thank you so much. And of course, I will see you right here, same time, same place, next week, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is the Landry Football with Chris Landry. Quick fix on Radio Influence. FSU really were perplexed. Now, listen, DeAndre Francois didn't play awful. I mean, it wasn't like an awful game plan, an awful performance. It was just a game in which they could find no rhythm, they could find no balance. They really struggled. They really struggled to develop any sort of consistency within their attack. Now, what does it really mean? Well, let me just jump off this for a second and give an overview. First week, what do we hear people say going into the season? They have this def- definition of what this team's going to be and what this team's not going to be and how they should be. And so, therefore, people are surprised in a good way or a bad way, positively or negatively, based upon what their perception is going into the season, when the reality is they really don't know. So a lot of this is not a surprise. It's just you don't know what teams are. You think you know, but, but you don't. So what's going to happen now is overreaction. Boy, this team is awful. They're dead. They're done. And I have an awful season. We hired the wrong coach. 
you know, boy, this team's a lot better. They might fight for the national championship. Well, you know, it's it's just like there's an overreaction going into the season. There's a vast overreaction after week one. Chris Landry brings you Landry football every week on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and, of course, RadioInfluence.com.